Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Melissa Rivers and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. Okay, since we recorded our interview about the royal family, so much has happened. Sabrina and I, seriously, we've been tracking this so much. First off, Sabrina, let's discuss Harry and Meghan's upcoming Oprah interview. I'm excited to see it, actually. I mean, I want to hear about the decision for, you know, their expectant pregnancy. Um, I want to hear about all the details. Um, this interview, I, I wasn't there with you guys, but listening to it, it was so intense. It was like, you just want to sink your teeth in it and you don't want to let go because there's so much good information. And it just seems like every day more and more and more is popping up and I'm rooting for them. Actually. I know that they broke protocol, Megan and, and Harry, but I'm, still rooting for them. I don't know. I think I fall a little bit on the other side of the fence. Having spoken to a lot of my English friends, the sentiment seems to be that they've not just broken protocol, but are being very disrespectful of the queen and the institution and that they're actively trying to spin their stepping back saying, you know, after the queen issued a statement saying they've stepped back from their life of public service in representing the monarchy, they then put out a statement saying public service works, is, universal. is universal. And apparently also you don't answer back to the queen's statement. So the rift is getting bigger and bigger in amongst the family members. Prince Philip, 99 years old, is now in the hospital. Oh, so much on a daily basis. Absolutely. We hope you enjoy listening to our podcast. And remember, we're going to keep coming back to this subject as more information becomes available. And, you know, it's good fun. Don't miss it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. I am flying solo today because Miss Sabrina is busy dealing with, let's be honest, me moving and it's crazy, and they're taking apart my house around my ears. Uh, but I am super excited about today's topic, which is the Royals. I have two experts with me. I have Aaron Hill, who is the senior news editor at People Magazine, which is doing extensive coverage of everything royal. And Angela Levin, the award-winning journalist, who has written for every major periodicals. Do we still call them periodicals? Many newspapers. <laughs> yeah. And a royal biographer, which we'll get to. Hello, ladies. Hi. Hi. So I just want to, right up the, off the bat, and I'm guessing you guys know this, my mother 
was actually friends with Prince Charles and Camilla. She was actually at their wedding. She did not become friendly with Charles till, geez, uh, probably, I mean, it was after Diana's death. So she wasn't like an enemy kind of person. So let's just put that out there. So this is part of the fascination. Plus, I've had the opportunity to sort of know more of the inside, which I can't wait to discuss with you guys. I guess right off the bat, were you both fascinated by the royal family growing up? Or has it just become, I guess for you, Erin, just part of your job? Well, well, both. Um, Princess Diana died when I was... Um, around 13, 14 years old. And I was, I was very aware of the news coverage. My mom was so glued to all the coverage. We started watching a lot of biographies about her and the Royal family. I'm around the same age as Harry and William. And so I kind of followed them along through their college years and then through their relationships, marriages, and now children. And so I, I've been covering them for a number of years and uh, people, I mean, that's really our bread and butter is Royals and our, our readers are so into it. So I love just covering every move, knowing the insides of what goes on behind palace walls. Um, there's just so much, so much behind the fairy tale. Angela, how did you get into this line of work? Well, I've always been a monarchist and I've always loved the royal family and I would often go on a Sunday afternoon and see the guards changing outside Buckingham Palace, even as a small child. And I've followed them very much too. I've always been fascinated by them and watched them carefully. And um, I, as, as a journalist, really not writing about the royals until um, five years ago when um, I was asked by Newsweek to write a big profile of Camilla Parker Bowles, um, now Duchess of Cornwall. And I wrote about her and then that went very well. And he said, who would you like to write about next? And I said, well, Prince Harry, because I think he's changing a lot and it would be interesting to really get through to him. So I wrote that for Newsweek and then I was asked to write a biography of Harry based on that. So I did. And I spent a year with Prince Charles to celebrate um, his 70th birthday and just now I talk about all the royals you know some going back to King George III um, once you start getting an expertise you know it stretches and moves around so um, I'm just fascinated with them all how they present themselves and what's going on um, behind the curtains. Well that, that actually you bring up George III which I find fascinating because we all think of the fascination with the Royals as something current and new, but really basically since William the Conqueror, the public has had sort of this insatiable appetite for the current Royals in the generations in which they're living. Are you all surprised either of you by, by the appetite well, I think it is extraordinary that the British government is now the most popular government around the world. A lot of the households have fallen apart around Europe and Russia. But um, it's very interesting if you made a graph of it, you'd see it goes up and down a lot. And it's always extraordinary that they seem to pull through every awkward situation. 
Um, and I, it feels very, very strong and stable. And I think we as British people feel it's part of our DNA, really. They're almost part of the family. Um, so we watch everybody growing up and growing older and then having another generation. Uh, I think a lot of us are very close to the roles, even though we might never have seen them. Yeah, I think from an American perspective, we, it's so foreign to us, this idea of this real family and this, this lineage. And we all grew up with fairy tales, being told fairy tales, and here's one that's come to life. And so we're so interested in how they live their lives and have their families. And then even the cracks in the fairy tale, we're even more interested in. I think it's fascinating. I'm just thinking about People Magazine and only because I have an insight in how the cover decisions are made, which is basically you know, looking at who's done well before, as well as if you've had a cover that didn't sell well, you will not be on the cover again. <laughs> right. It, do the royal covers far and away do better than the celebrity covers? They, they definitely have been. It's, they've been some of our strongest covers, especially um, over the past few years. And Princess Diana has even covered uh, people more than anybody, more than anybody. Really? Um, our most covers throughout the years. And then we saw just record-breaking um, readership with William and Kate's wedding. And then, of course, with Meghan and Harry. So we even have one out this week on the Queen. So it's, it's, it's pretty often we're always thinking, about what's the next royal cover we can do? Because there is such an appetite for it. Which, you know, it, 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 they're beating out the celebrities, Exactly, which is why we've actually just announced the launch of our new People Royals special quarterly publication, which is devoted to all things Royals. So we'll keep doing our uh, weekly Royals specials for People Magazine, but now here's something devoted to Royal loyalists and fans, which is going to be great. Which, I mean, to try and launch a magazine, I mean, they've had them a lot in the UK, um, magazines dedicated to that, but it's a huge step for the U.S., and a huge step for people. It's radically, it's, it's crazy expensive to launch something, especially now. So the big endeavor, and it just shows you how popular Royals is. So when the, our first issue comes out March 5th, uh, it's going to be really exciting. Kate's on the cover, really going into how she's defining herself as a future queen. Lots of great insight in there. Stories that even the most devout fans have never heard before. It's wow. <laughs> Angela's like, can I give you my card? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, the media has always played a huge role in sort of crafting the images. And they've, they've tried to take more control of it, but how accurate is it? I know 20 years ago or 25 years ago, even very often the public persona or the public perception did not match at all who the person was. How intrinsic is the media in creating the popularity and the opinions of the, the general public? I think it's uh, often way off, actually. I mean, we have to go back to Edward VIII, and that's when the media started writing. And he for people who don't know, he is yeah. the one that abdicated for Wallace Simpson, quote unquote, the woman he loved. And that was a big scandal. 
Yeah, everyone thought the royal family would completely collapse because he refused to be king and unless they allowed him to marry her. And at the time, you couldn't marry anybody who'd been divorced once, let alone twice. So this was the time that I think the press moved in to start writing about it. Before that, they didn't. They kept very quiet. And there was lots of rumours, but nothing was written about in the papers. And it's just, I think, exploded from there. And the appetite here in the UK is enormous too. And um, people just want to read it and it, it gets stretched out of all proportion. There's very few people who do know very much. Um, the rest get it or they all gather in groups and they decide what they're going to do and they all do that. But how many, I mean, so I guess, Erin, it's like how much do you, influence do you feel or responsibility do you feel in crafting the public image and crafting, you know, it's a lot of pressure, honestly, to be in, in the position of telling the public how they should perceive someone and feel about someone, which was, you know, the crafting of the whole Camilla image from, you know, husband, sealer, the third person in a marriage to actually beloved now. Sure. And it's a big responsibility. And actually, the, the royal family has a symbiotic relationship with the press to begin with. They use the press in certain ways. The press uses them in certain ways. Um, and and we work very closely with the palace communications team. We have, of course, our sources, which we've cultivated over the years. And the stories we like to tell and that people readers are interested in um, are, are just kind of what they're really like behind the scenes. So we are kind of crafting this the persona of who they really are um, behind the, the public duty, the royal duty that we see them. Like how they're, how William, we had this great story of uh, when you go around William and Kate's home, Kate opens the door with no makeup, a ponytail, William's making a pot of tea. Um, and it's just so relaxed, the kids are running around. I mean, those are the kind of stories that people want to know about. Angela, how, how accurate are these uh, these carefully crafted uh, images, because I know from my mother how people, especially with Pinch Charles, which I always find amazing in the coverage, he is wickedly funny and has a great sense of humor, devoted to his sons, always has been, but was overshadowed by Diana because he was not raised in a way to show, to be demonstrative in public but devoted to the boys. And again, that Camilla is down to earth and again, wickedly funny. And everyone perceives them, or at least him, as so stiff and removed. Yes. The queen actually is hilarious too. Mm -hmm. And she likes mimicking people and she gets it absolutely spot on. And the idea that it's all very stuffy. I mean, there is lots and lots of protocols, some of which is very boring and tedious. But on the whole, they have a huge laugh. And um, the Queen and Prince Charles and Camilla and Princess Anne um, are absolutely hilarious. And Harry, of course, are very, very funny people, quick-witted, you know, on, on sort of spontaneous wit. Um, and um, when I was with Prince Charles for, for that year, I mean, he had me fits of laughter, as did Camilla, you know, very quick, very quick-witted. And and again, the, the image that, and this is again from my mother's perception, was at least with Charles and Camilla, very warm people. Yes, 
very warm. But they are also people with a huge sense of duty. So when they need to be dutiful, they are. And when they uh, can relax and be funny, they are too. And I just want to say about the press is that um, it's a deal. You know, they want you to be somewhere to promote a charity or promote an area and or a country. And the press goes there on the understanding that they will let them take photographs and be helpful. And that the press team around them often give you a great deal um, of information, which you can't say actually comes from Prince Charles, but Prince Charles has told them or whoever it is what they want put out there. And Although you can't make use a name, you can be quite assured that that's absolutely true. What's going on? So that yeah, I mean, obviously, again, it goes back into in, into image, just like the image, you know, of Diana, who was very charitable and warm in this, but was such a different species. And I felt like, and I don't know if you guys agree with me, was the first one who learned how to work the press. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what a lot of people maybe not, they don't realize is it got to a certain point where she figured out how to work the press to her advantage um, in some ways. And and, and I, I think that definitely led to um, a lot of complications within the royal family. So before that, actually, I, I think that um, the, the late Queen Mother, Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, was brilliant with the press, certainly during the Second World War, mm -hmm. when she was walking around the wreck of London and she was always making sure they were there and they saw her tripping over um, lots of bricks and talking to people who'd lost their homes. She did that brilliantly and prior to her, Queen Mary, who was a queen of, of, of George V, she was very concerned about what she wore and she would always wear enormous, enormous hats and dress very sort of... Um, Victorian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that the press would want to come and see her. They didn't actually talk to them, but she wanted them to, to see her when she went to a hospital where when she did an engagement. And I think it, it grew from there. But Diana was the main expert who could uh, wrap anybody around her little finger, really. And what's, what's interesting is you brought up fashion. Literally mm. anything that the younger generation wears sells out in, in, in seconds. And that was really with Diana. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, Megan, she, she wore something. It, had been, it, had, it went very, very fast. And the things for the little children, too, would just be sold out straight away. But they, I think the press is often quite cruel about what they wear. You know, if they don't like something or they think it doesn't suit them or they're a bit fatter or a bit thinner, um, they are very verbal about it. And it's a huge stress, I think, on the royals to look in a way that is suitable for what they're doing, but also that isn't torn to shreds verbally by the press. It's true. Well, that I was going to say one of my favorite things about the fashion is they're able to kind of give hidden messages through their clothes because they have these sort of very diplomatic roles. They can't really speak out too much, but they find their ways of sending messages through their clothing. When Kate goes on a royal tour, she'll wear something honoring her host country. Megan's really great about sustainable fashion and honoring certain organizations, charities, women's groups, and uh, it's all done through their clothes. 
Well, that that was a big story when they did their last uh, the week of appearances. Uh, how carefully crafted their wardrobes were when, with Harry and Meghan, including the lining of his jacket matching her dress. Nothing's done on accident from the accessories, the, the purses they carry. It's, it's kind of amazing. Which is a lot of pressure. Yeah. My, I guess what I, I, I before I want to turn to the Harry and Meghan story, which is also part of the Kate and Williams story, especially with Angela. Who, who's written a book and had to update it very quickly on Harry. What's the biggest scoop you've ever gotten? What did you get first? I don't go for scoops, really. I'm um, I, I'm a commentator rather than a scoop gatherer. Uh, I mean, my my what was very significant is when I talked to Prince Harry in Kensington Palace when I was writing the book and. Um, he suddenly stopped talking to me and said how terrible it was that um, he was made to walk behind his mother's coffin um, in front of millions and millions of people who were crying. And he couldn't cry because he had to keep a stiff upper lip. And um, he thought it wouldn't happen nowadays, but it was a terrible thing to happen. And he'd never spoken about that before. And that went round the world very, very fast. And it was tragically sad because we saw again the the, the, the royals walking behind her. It was um, Prince Philip, um, Diana's brother, um, and William and Harry. And, and Charles. And Charles, of course, yes. And walking with their heads held down and Harry had his fist absolutely clasped as tightly as he could probably digging his nails in to stop himself crying and it was so so moving I think at the time of Diana's death we were so involved with that we didn't maybe notice that enough and of course Harry was absolutely right so, I was I was always told that he was given an option that there was a lot of sensitivity. He has such a tight relationship with his grandmother that a lot of sensitivity was given to that. And that, and again, this is just what the story I heard that the reason Philip walked was because Harry did. And he said, I will do this with you. Now I could be completely misinformed, but that was the story I had always heard. So when I read your story, I was kind of surprised, but again, we all remember things differently. Yes, I mean, my, what I was told then was that um, uh, Charles, uh, Diana's brother, was so angry that they thought if he walked with Prince Charles, uh, there could be some sort of fight or people would come out of the crowds and attack one or the other. So uh, Prince Philip volunteered to walk and he wanted the boys to do that because he was an incredibly strong man. He is still an incredibly strong man. You know, he had a terribly, terrible childhood and he is determined to do the right thing. And he encouraged the children to walk as well. I, felt, I think they felt they couldn't. But, of course, it meant they were all safe because if they were all walking in, in a line together, um, they, they, nobody from the crowds would come out and attack one or the other. It was a very sort of terrible time when tempers were bursting. It's, it's hard. Erin, it, uh, I guess I want to go back to my original question is, What's what's the biggest scoop you've ever gotten? What did you beat everybody to? 
I think it would probably be Megan's uh, baby shower in the city um, from a guest who was there who gave us some amazing details about what went on at the party, who was there, what Megan was like. Um, that whole weekend, uh, really special for her. It was the first time she'd been around her friends since joining the royal family and being back in the States. Uh, so that was that was pretty incredible. That's How- run, run that one, hasn't it? It's really, people are still fascinated by it. Yes, Okay, that's what I want to turn to because it really is the pe- people are the most fascinated by the Queen, Harry and Meghan, William and Kate. I mean, it's really the this this the spotlights on them. How disappointed was the royal family that what was deemed the Fab Four could not get along? And where I mean, I know they tried to blame it on the girls. But it turns out the it was really the brothers. The brothers, yeah, yeah. It was never the women, um, and and you know we know from when the whole Sandringham summit that happened and Queen gathering everybody together last last January to discuss it all that it was disappointing for her. This isn't how she wanted it to go. Um, but at the end of the day, when you put that aside, it's family first for her. Family, family is important. Well, duty first for her, but her, her grandson's happiness is, is very important. And she was able to recognize that and, and give them her, her blessing. I think it's amazing. What she's an amazing woman. Oh my God. I mean, she divides her life between being the queen of the Commonwealth and the UK and being a mother and a grandmother. And it's fascinating when she has to do the two. And she had to do that when uh, Prince Harry desperately wanted to go and fight in in Afghanistan on the front line. And she's done that with the Harry-Meghan issue where she's actually tried to to be both. Um, It's a very, very difficult balance. And she does it with enormous dignity and kindness, I think. Well, and with the world watching, because a lot of women have to do that and learn how to compartmentalize. Yes. And, 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 you know, which is a funny way to relate. Um, Kate is really having got thrust much more into the spotlight again. I mean, I felt like she got a breather when Harry and Meghan kind of hit the press and it was their sort of moment to shine, that she actually got a breather from being pretty much the sole focus. How hard has it been for her, especially during the pandemic, or has that kind of been a blessing that she could be out of the public eye to suddenly shoulder all this responsibility again and all this this attention again? She's worked very hard throughout the pandemic, actually, with the zoo conferences and talks. I think she's really found her feet, and I don't know that she would have wanted a breather. She's got a huge sense of duty, and she's the one who's tried to find projects that Prince William would really, really like, not just cutting um, string or ribbon at, at various engagements. And, and these were, you know, the mental health. And it was her idea. And it was also her idea to do um, up to five. You know, if you catch children when they're very yeah. young, how to heal the problems and how to help them. Um, and she's done brilliantly with these very difficult things. And she researched it for a year or two before she went out and um 
did engagements, but um, people tell me that she's incredibly well informed and knows really what to say, what to ask. And I think she's really found her feet. She seems much, much more relaxed and cracking jokes and um, being fun. Today, uh, for the um, uh, Holocaust Memorial Day, mm -hmm. she talked by Zoom to two um, aged survivors who she met first in 2017. And it was just her. And she said to one of them, um, well, you know, sorry, my husband couldn't make it. And he said, oh, no, dear. He said, I just wanted you. So <laughs> she said, quick as a flash, I will tell William that you were very sorry he wasn't here. And um, he would have loved to meet you so much. She did it so smoothly, so expertly that um, you couldn't really have done that unless you were relaxed and had a sense of humour. And she and she smiled charmingly. She wasn't sort of thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, the papers are going to pick this up and make it all very awkward. Uh, and I think she's got a lot more confidence now. Yeah, she never misses a step. It's pretty mm -hmm. incredible. I think a lot of it has to do with her being a mother of three now and the confidence yes. that brings. Yes. Um, she is definitely more at ease now when she's giving speeches and she's talking to children and families. And it has been a really big year for her. She's also raising the future heir to the throne, which is which is huge. It's a little um, bit of pressure. So all the pressures that come with <laughs> that. Um, but she's she's amazing. The difference between her and, and Megan is the subtlety and, and their roles are so um, different. Kate's role is to support William, really, as to her job is is him, is this, the crown and supporting that. Um, and she's brilliant at it. And she does model herself after the queen in a lot of ways. And you can see that. Um, I think she's just incredible. And we're going to keep seeing more and more great things from her. So, which, which brings me to my next question. Kate and William were together forever before they got married. And I had a friend that actually... Uh, worked for uh, uh, the U the U.S. version uh, uh, arm of the Prince's Trust, um, which was called the Prince of Wales Foundation. And when Kate was sort of first around, um, she they said that Kate literally knew intrinsically and also was very well trained in the protocol, talking to the person on your right and then seamlessly talking to the person on your left. Do you think that amount of grooming and time really has made an impact and made a difference in her relationship and moving into the royal family versus Megan, which I do want to get to, coming in like a bull in a china shop? Mm. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she, from her, from her years in college, it's kind of being immersed into the royal fold. And when it became clear that she was going to, you know, marry William, yeah, she had a lot of time to prepare versus Megan. It happened in, in a year, a year and some change. So she had much more time to grow into it. She was younger um, and really spent her adult life within this royal spotlight. I think um, William was absolutely determined that she wouldn't be left to her own devices like Diana was. And he spent a lot of time in helping her and making sure she understood the extraordinary ways of the royal family. And uh, I think that's really worked because as you say, that she went into it very gradually, bit by bit. 
And it was quite a long time before she went out on her own. And now there's no trouble at all. She does it superbly. But as you said, no, she never puts a foot wrong. She just is so, um, I don't like to use the word train because that sounds more like. It sounds like a seal. But but she 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 really has got it and um, she enjoys it. And I think, as you said, that her duty is to make William happy. And she's done that in extraordinary ways by letting him see what a normal family is like, what a stable family is like. He gets on very well with his in-laws and, you know, has dinner on a tray sometimes when he's with them, you know, very casual and informal. And he's, he's learned a lot from that. But also actually becoming a father, I think that is um, made a huge difference to him. And you can see his children absolutely adore him because small children in the public eye won't hold hands with somebody they don't want to. Mm-hmm. And um, they're always willing to hold his hand and he'll pick them up. And you can see there's a fantastic bond there. And I think that's made a huge difference to um, help him get over his dysfunctional upbringing. One of my favorite moments, uh, which I probably saw in People, was at uh, Kate's sister Pippa's wedding when uh, when Kate was scolding George. <laughs> that was a famous picture, and he was crying. I mean, it was a typical parent move. I want to move on to Meghan and Harry, because obviously everybody is fascinated. What the fuck happened? Because I know the coverage in the U.S. and the U.K. were vastly different. First of all, it shows how much Harry was is beloved by his grandmother for letting him marry a divorcee. I mean, I think we have to roll back to that. What the hell? Where did this go off the rails? Well, um, I mean, the Queen has always adored Prince Harry and she wanted him to be happy. And if he was going to be happy, that was fine by her. But um, I think... Uh, Harry told me that he spent a lot of time explaining to Meghan what she would face because a lot of the women he'd been out with didn't want to, didn't want the spotlight. So he really tried very hard. And I think Meghan didn't get it, what it meant. Um, I think she saw it as a platform of which she wanted to think globally. (laughs) Yeah, think. She wanted to do everything. She's always talked globally. And the UK, small country, wasn't enough for her. And she didn't like standing behind Kate and she didn't like the protocols and she didn't like um, them sort of criticising her clothes. Um, and I Why think- are you even reading it? I mean, here was the disconnect for me. For someone who is so globally minded and so, or appears to be so charity minded, you are given the opportunity to make a real difference. And if you have to stand behind someone, stand freaking behind someone. I think it was, you know, what we, what we didn't see here is the press treatment over there was vastly different from anything Kate had ever received. I mean, the worst thing Kate was called was Weedy Katie for waiting around for a proposal. And her family got a little bit of treatment with uh, her mother being a flight attendant. But Megan, it was definitely exact. There is, there is 
you know, um, racial bias. There was misogyny. It was immediately going into her family and her, her backstory and, and a lot of racial undertones. And these were things she was getting trolled. And these are things Harry spoke out about when they were dating before their engagement was even announced. So this didn't just happen out of nowhere. He struggled with that. She struggled with that. But don't you think at that point when you see it's coming and the palace came out to support her, Harry came out to support her. All these people came out to support her. She had, you know, uh, that mattered in forming public opinion, uh, public opinion. I'm not talking about everyone at the UK being, you know, all the tabloids and going bananas and not necessarily being kind. I don't understand how someone who's as smart as her didn't have the foresight to see that you just need to ride it out, that you're moving into a different sort of expectation. Again, very stiff upper lip, not American, where we vomit everything out all over. If you come from one country to another, you're changing countries, you're changing jobs, you're changing the whole way you live. You can't just go out to the shops. You have to have protection officers with you. Um, You can't make a judgment in a year or even two years whether you like it or not. You have to stick it out and learn and see. I mean, the Queen offered her... um, Uh, projects and charities that she knew she would like. They were absolutely up her street. They bent over backwards to be with her. And I think it's wrong to say that there was vileness about her. Of course, there's um, anti-black and anti-women going around in London. But actually at the wedding, which I had the lack of being one of the lead commentators for CNN. um, I saw you. uh Aha, right. (laughs) And um, you were with Don Lemon, my beloved, who I'm like obsessed with. Everyone was so happy for Harry. The feeling around uh, Windsor was just electric and positive and wonderful. Um, and I and I think everybody wanted them to be so happy. Millions of people watched it. Um, I think the the negative was was quite small and you do have to just go through it come out the other end and you become popular like Camilla did and like right. Kate. she was hounded by people before they uh, got engaged really and even worse then really hounded well I was um, going to say and Camilla is the example of you will come out the other side yeah and I, I just don't understand to the problem is for Harry is this is starting to conjure up a lot of bad memories from his mother. And now he, I mean, he wants to protect his wife and not only his wife, but now his child. And so a lot of it came from him. I mean, he said so himself, you know, this, this decision, and this wasn't anything new. He said throughout his twenties at times, he wanted to give it all up and wanted to just, you know, be a regular guy, be in the military, you know, let, let it all go. And Mm. so he, he found somebody that had big dreams and aspirations. And yes, you're hemmed in by the Royal family because at the end of the day, there's a hierarchy. It's Charles's business first and then William and Kate and then theirs. Um, And that would be difficult for him, for somebody ambitious who doesn't, didn't grow up with the protocol, doesn't quite understand, but at the same time, they were the most popular Mm-hmm. Uh, royals and they said themselves they didn't feel the protection of the palace at that time that was part of the problem they didn't feel the support from the family from the firm which i find shocking because he she was she was i was gonna say she was given opportunity like she was allowed to go to christmas before that i mean 
I feel like just even from an outsider's perspective, they bent over backwards to support her. And I feel like, and I, and Angela, you would know more than, than I would. I feel like it was part of the spin. I knew things were in trouble when she kept her uh, or changed to one of the most powerful PR firms in Hollywood. I knew that was like, oh, this is not good. Yeah, I mean, Prince Harry, when he talked to me, he said that he'd often, he couldn't stand living in a goldfish bowl and he wanted to go uh, and live an ordinary life. He's not an ordinary man. He's very charismatic and and caring and he couldn't ever become ordinary. But what he wanted to do is to go to Africa and look after animals that were uh, nearly uh, obsolete. Um, and then uh, Prince Philip stepped back and the Queen asked him to take on more duties and he could choose from a huge range that Prince Philip did. And he told me that that means I can form my life around this and I will stay here because I have a huge sense of duty to the Queen. And um, he also said that he wanted to be around because he and William had a very, very special relationship. Nobody would have the same as them, where not only losing their mother very young, but having to cope with millions of other people who would cry when it wasn't their mother was very, very hard for him. And he said he, he, William was the only person he could trust and they could talk and they would argue, but they were very, very close together. And of course, I, I think sometimes when the woman comes along that, you know, one or two women, the relationship changes. It doesn't have to necessarily be bad, but you then switch your allegiance to your future rather than to what you grew up with. And this was very badly handled. I think he had every, diff, every right to leave and do what they like, but the fact that you put it up on an Instagram um, account and you haven't even let the Queen know, your mother, your father, your brother, and it was a tremendous bombshell. I remember being called to come and quickly go to Buckingham Palace to speak about it. Um, it was just bad manners, and I think the bad manners have continued all the time where they do things where they know that it's not the right things to do when they've got royal titles. And in the end, you've got to choose whether you are one thing or the other. You can't dip in and dip out and be royal with all that involves and get huge um, privilege privilege, and, and at the same time take advantage of it commercially. That is not on with the Queen. What the hell happened? How did Harry get so derailed? Well, he's besotted with Meghan. He was besotted with her from the moment he saw her. And um, he so much wanted someone to love him and to love that um, he said before the wedding, we think he said this, uh, you know, what Meghan wants, Meghan gets. And I think that's been what's been happening. Um, they are, though, terrible hypocrites, you know, saying you mustn't fly, you mustn't have more than two children, you mustn't do this, you mustn't do that, as if they're in charge of us. And I don't think they are. And I think it's a very remiss to say that they can do things, but we can't um, and talk down to us all. I think that is all very wrong. Some of the headlines are taken out of context. Like, yes, they were seen on planes at the same time when they're talking about carbon footprint. Um, but 
you see that from you see that from every celebrity and entrepreneur and CEO out there. Um, and you know the comments they make about expanding their their family and things like that. It's just anything that's said, the headline that's usually in the British press is is put out there is is spun incredibly negatively. Harry had a conversation with Jane Goodall about. Um, furthering their family and expanding their family. And she said something like no more than two um, as, as a joke to kind of good population control. And he said something in response kind of, yes, no more than two. And then immediately that's kind of blown out of proportion. And that's kind of the issue they talk about, they deal with is whatever they say, whatever they do, it's going to be under this lens of this immense criticism when I think there are good intentions there in wanting to highlight you know, women's rights, highlight homelessness. Um, and they do find a way to do that. It's just, it's hard. They kind of can't win whichever way they go at this point. Yeah. The road to, was it the road to hell is paved with good intentions? Right. <laughs> but they have to be careful not to be hypocrites. I mean, with baby Archie, for example, you know, Harry's been determined that he would have a normal life and he wouldn't be hounded by the press. You can't have a normal life living in a mansion on however many acres in Montecito. That's not normal. Having parents who are famous is not normal. You can do everything. I mean, I know with my son and especially not because of me, but more because of my mother. Yeah. We made it normal in the sense of we sat down to dinner together every night. The phones went off. He was made very aware that who grandma was and who mommy was outside of home was work. It's not who we really are. And somehow I've managed to raise my son, not only as a grounded human being, but also with an understanding of that he does carry my mother's legacy of philanthropy. Yeah. So it is doable. Yeah. But what I was saying was that when they had this um, deal um, that they put uh, Archie on at the end of it, um, and I thought that was very hypocritical because you if you want to keep him silent you don't use a little 18 month old boy to speak on the end of your um podcast uh, yeah podcast so uh, you've you, and you've spent a ton of time with harry and you've been very outspoken that he is just whooped hmm. how long is this gonna last before he wakes up at 40 and goes I want to go home. Well, don't forget he's got a child. I don't think you necessarily can make those decisions easily. And um, he's always been brilliant with children and small children. He's longed for a child of his own, and maybe they'll have another one. And I think it would take um, a, a, a very, very difficult for him to go back home. He'd have his tail beneath his feet and... Um, he would have failed. And I think he's been deprived of so much um, in his life. You know, he had to come back from the army after only uh, 10 weeks where he wanted to stay there for a very long time. And for the first time, felt he was doing something really useful. You know, he lost his mother. Diana had loads of men coming round and um, asked them sometimes if they felt that this one or that one would be a good father. All very, a lot of abandonment. And I think that that's had a very strong effect on him and will make him think very, very carefully about um, his marriage if it all goes really wrong. 
Aaron, do you think that, I mean, I think that the U.S. and other sort of homegrown celebrities here have taken up Megan's cause and that the coverage is so different because the coverage here, for the most part, is extremely positive. And it, it, do you think that's, I mean, obviously that's her focus because that's her world, but there has to be a balance between the coverage like that you guys are doing that is 90% pat, uh, positive versus balancing it with, I mean, how, how, how much do the readers only want the positive here? Um, they want, they want the behind the scenes. They want, whether it's good or bad. Um, and we, we have commented on how this has been so difficult. We talk about the rifts between Harry and William and, and Megan coming in and, and the friction that that caused. We do, we do cover the negative side of things. Um, but the way we cover it is, is, is different in that we, it seems to be spun in such a negative way. There are such harsh feelings in Britain. I mean, Harry's Britain's son and he left. And you can understand um, for so many of them how that, that felt like he, he abandoned uh, his role there, the family, especially during a year where it's, it's been impossible for him to go back. But we do know that the intention was for a little bit more balance. And that was impossible to have this year. If this wasn't a pandemic, he would have been back several times. And we're hearing he's supposed to be back later this year for Philip's 100th. And then in the summer is Diana's 60th anniversary of her birthday, a lot planned there with William. So we're gonna see them come together more um, later this year. But it's special circumstances has been, it's been tough and the coverage here is largely positive because they came here, they're establishing their life. We're welcoming them in a way they're this kind of new American Braille-esque. Um, having here, we wanna give them a chance and see what they can do. So before I let you ladies go, is the monarchy gonna survive after the queen dies? I think it will, yes. I think personally that Prince Charles will make a wonderful king. And um, I think William has now really absorbed the feeling that he is going also to be king one day. And I think uh, Prince Charles will be very much helped by um, not just Camilla, but by William and Kate, and it'll work out. I mean, there have been so many things of up and down. The monarchy nearly fell apart when Diana died. Everyone blamed the monarchy for not being nice to her and not helping her. And they recovered very well. And I think they will recover again. And as Kate and William's children grow up, I think one will really identify even more with the family. What about you, Erin? I definitely think so. And I'm thinking ahead too, to in a few years time when we have George, Charlotte and Louis growing up. And when they become teenagers, it's going to be like, William and Harry, when they were teenagers, is all anybody cared about. And they're already so charismatic, scene stealers, especially Charlotte. She's so adorable. So it's going to be, um, there's going to be a new modern uh, monarchy at that point. And it'll be really great to see what they do. Well, this has been fascinating. I hope I can have you back. Angela, looking forward to the next book that you write, because you write about all sorts of things. Erin can't wait for, uh, was it March 5th? That's right. March 5th with the new launch of People Magazine's All Royals Quarterly. Right. Thank you so, so much. 